Y'all can have a seat. going. My name is Tim. I went to the University of Tennessee. That's right, I did. Um, if I had to pick an office character that I most relate to, I think it's only fair to just acknowledge the complexity of me and to say there's some days when I'm feeling really good about myself and I really feel like a gym. And those are good days. And then there's other days when I'm honest and I'm a Ryan. <laughs> Nobody chose Ryan. There's a good reason you didn't choose Ryan. But the older you get, the more honest you become, hopefully. And uh, there's, day, there's too many days I'm a Ryan. So anyway, um, let's, um, let's, you know, one of the jobs at Fall Conference that's the hardest is, uh, somebody's laughing and I haven't even said yet what that is. Maybe you're laughing at something else. But it's really, um, it's being the MC. And uh, there's a lot of pressure but I think we can all agree that Sammy Rhodes is the goat of MCs, can't we? Can we give it up? He's the goat. And I don't know who's going to win this contest tonight, this, this beautiful $25 Chili's gift card. But if I were you, this is just a suggestion. This isn't a word from the Lord. Um, but I would, I would invite Sammy to go with you. I mean, because what, like, if you think about it, what could be better than sharing bottomless chips and salsa with Sammy Rhodes? So... Throw it out there. There's a Chili's just about, you know, 15 minutes up the road from here. It's not far. You could go in the afternoon. Other people are doing things like playing Frisbee. You could be eating chips and salsa with Sammy Rhodes. So anyway, all right, enough of that. Let's uh, turn. If you've got your Bible with you, let's turn back to John chapter 20. Um, or if you've got a phone with an app, a Bible app on it, you can um, scroll back there. And what we looked at last night, what I've told you what we're doing this weekend is something really simple is that we're just watching Jesus. Um, we're looking at this one who, as Christians, um, what we're saying is that this is, this is the Son of God in the flesh who, has, who is now walking in the midst of his creation. And, it, and, and I say these things, I, I say that to you because I think if you've grown up in church, um, it's just something that you yawn over, right? I mean, as somebody who talks about the Bible a lot, I have to stop every once in a while and catch myself and say, uh, this is what we're saying, is that the one who spoke creation into being entered into his creation. And he entered into a creation that has rebelled against him, that has run, a, run away from him, that has destroyed um, in many ways the beauty of his creation. And yet Jesus, in humility and obedience and in love, he entered into creation because Jesus himself said he came to seek and to save those who were lost. Not those who were good, um, not those who have managed to kind of get their life cleaned up and get their life together. Jesus did not go looking for those people. In fact, he was the hardest 
on those people who didn't really think they had any need for him, Jesus went to the darkest places. And so we're watching him even after he comes out of the tomb in these last two chapters. And we're just asking the question, here is one who is the radiance of God's glory and the perfect imprint of God's nature. What does he do? Where does he go? What is God like? What is he like? You're, in, you're implicitly asking yourself that question all the time. It's in the way that you react to things, in the way that we react to failure or to grief or to fear or to doubt. What is God like? What would it be like if he showed up? And the good news this morning is we get to see that. Um, we actually have firsthand account of what happens when Jesus encounters people like us. So let's look at um, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. A little bit shorter passage this morning. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Amen. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, again, we, um, we thank you. We thank you for just a weekend where we can break, where we can pause from the things that um, capture our mind and capture our attention, things that are good, things that you've called us to, um, but things that, if we're honest, they overwhelm us on a daily basis because we think that if we don't do them well enough, then we're not worthy and we don't measure up. And so, Father, bring us um, again this morning. Um, bring us to Jesus. Um, help, help us to see what Jesus is like with a group of people who have utterly failed and who are terrified because of it. Father, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves in this situation and to see what Jesus might even be saying to us this morning. We ask this in his name. Amen. I read um, a story not too long ago, and it was a, a true story. I wouldn't tell you a fake one. It's a true story about a girl whose name was Cindy. And Cindy had found herself one afternoon in a grocery store parking lot, and she was not sitting in her car. She was sitting on the curb, and she, was, had, she had her head sort of hanging between her knees, and she was kind of gently crying, and she basically was in a state where she didn't, she was sitting there on the curb because she didn't have anywhere else to go. She didn't know what else to do, that her boyfriend had just walked out of her life and abandoned her. She was pregnant. She didn't really have any money. She didn't have a car. And she was sort of left there in this parking lot, sitting on the curb. And around the same time, there was another girl who drove into the, the parking lot. Um, her name was Michelle, and she was a 21-year-old college student. And she was there to do what everyone else was pretty much there to do. I mean, she was, she was on a mission to get in and out of the grocery store as fast as you can, right? Um, to just get, get it done, get back, go back to the things that she needed to do. But as she's walking into the grocery store, out of the corner of her eye, she sees this girl sitting on the curb. 
and she thinks, um, I probably should go talk to her. And so she walks over to Cindy, and she sort of leans over and says, um, can I, is there anything I can help you with? Are you okay? And Cindy sort of, sort of kind of looks up at her, but she can't, like, she can't speak. She can't get words out of her mouth. And so Michelle's thinking, I don't really know what to do in this situation. So she just sits down on the curb next to her, and she, she starts to rub her back. And as she starts to rub her back, this, this girl begins to just weep and weep. And Michelle doesn't know what else to do, so she just keeps rubbing her back and telling her it's going to be okay. And before long, she starts to cry with her. You know when you're with somebody who's weeping, and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> it's like throwing up. You watch somebody throw up, and you're like, oh, this is not going to be good. So she's, she's crying, she's weeping, and she's like, Michelle starts weeping with her, and eventually after about 15 minutes, uh, Cindy's able to talk, and she starts to recount this story and how she got caught up with this guy and how it was abusive and, and how he just, when he found out she was pregnant, he left her literally in the parking lot, and she didn't know what else to do. And at that point, Michelle's, you know, plans, she's not thinking about groceries anymore, um, what she feels like and what she said is it felt like one of those moments where you could really feel that, that heaven and earth felt like they were touching and that this is where God had led her to, to be with this particular girl. And when this young, unmarried, pregnant woman, she felt utterly alone, she felt abandoned, she felt forsaken by others, what she said is that she felt like um, later, as she, she recalled this, she said, I felt like Jesus appeared. He appeared in the form of this college girl. And Michelle, as she looked back, she said, in that moment, I felt like Jesus appeared, and he appeared in the need of this broken, hurting, desperate girl. And before long, what happened after this account is this friendship blossomed. And not too long later, a baby was born. And both of them said it was like a resurrection occurred. It's like a resurrection happened. That when this girl felt like there was, that, that peace was impossible, that peace could never happen in her life, that God spoke to her through the lips of a stranger. And they became bound together by this trust in a God who shows up in places that we often call, um, that sort of, that we have termed God-forsaken places. It's a really bad name for those places because that's exactly the types of places where God shows up. He shows up in the places where it seems like there's no chance of peace. It seems like there's no chance of hope. I've met in the last, you know, how many years I've been in ministry, it's always the people who I'm sitting with, and they're saying, I feel like God's far away because I've blown it in my life, and I feel like everything's coming unraveled, and I always always have to fight back a smile because what I know is that God, God is right in the midst of that. It is where he does his best work. It is where he loves to show, show up. And how do I know that? Because we see it again in this passage. This is still the first day of the week. It's the day that Jesus has risen from the dead. And you remember from last night, we watched this first scene. Where does Jesus go first? Of all the places that Jesus could go, as Jesus, who is 
just come out of a tomb. Jesus, who owns every molecule on the planet, they are all at his beck and call. Where does Jesus go? He first appears to this woman, this nobody, this formerly demon-possessed person who's standing there and weeping. That is what our God is like. That is where he goes. That is what he does. And he asks her this question, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And so this morning we pick up where we left off. And this is right where we left off from last night. And it's still this first day of the week. And Jesus, you you ask the question, well, what's he going to do next? Where's he going to go next? And it kind of makes sense that he would go and, and look for his disciples. Because, at least in my mind, it makes sense. Because his disciples, I mean, they had spent all of their time with him during his ministry. Um, They had seen him do amazing things. I mean, some of these disciples had seen Jesus look into a tomb and talk to a dead man, and he came out. They've seen, some of them have had family members that he healed. They've seen him talk with authority uh, to the religious leaders of the day. They've been with him. But the reason that I I would think that Jesus would go and find them is because of this, is they were utter failures. I mean, in almost every way, as you read through the Gospels, if you go back and read through John, what you'll find is that the disciples over and over and over again were getting it wrong. They didn't understand really what was happening. They were saying kind of things all the time that for us, as we read it, they make you cringe, uh, that they were arguing along the way to Jerusalem about who was the greatest disciple, that they thought they knew what was going to happen when they got there that they were going to be important, that they were going to be um, sitting maybe at Jesus' right and his left. But here's the thing, when Jesus needed them the most, Jesus just a few days earlier had, had knelt down and he had actually washed the feet of his disciples. And then just a couple of hours later, on those same freshly washed feet when Jesus is being arrested, they all run away from him. They all scatter. And so it makes sense to me that, well, yeah, the risen Jesus is going to go find his disciples because what the disciples need is they need somebody to shout at them and rebuke them. They need somebody to show up and say, of course, Jesus is saying, did you not see anything that I did? Did you not listen to me? I told you that when we got to Jerusalem that they were going to kill me, and three days later I was going to rise again. Were you not listening? Are you deaf? Do you not have ears? You're all arguing about who's the greatest, but when push comes to shove, what do you all do? You all abandon me, you all run away, one of you betrays me, and one of you denies me. Here's the thing. Jesus does seek out his disciples. He seeks out these ones who knew him better than anyone else, and who in every way had abandoned him and failed him. And Jesus appears in this room where they are locked, and they are hiding And they are cowering in fear. And the first words out of his mouth are this. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. I want to ask you this question as we think about this. If Jesus were to show up in your life right now, what do you think he would say? 
If Jesus were to show up uh, maybe a week ago when you woke up one morning and you realized some of the things you did the night before weren't exactly the most faithful things you could have done, what do you think he would say? If Jesus showed up not on your most glorious moment, but Jesus showed up in your most embarrassing moment, what do you think he would say? I think for some of us, um, this, you know, honestly, this idea, so Jesus shows up and he says, peace be with you. And it sounds kind of formal. And we also kind of think, well, um, what is peace? Like, I don't even, I can't comprehend what peace even looks like. Because what I see in my own life is almost everywhere I go, I seem to create chaos. And then I look at the world and I see that there is anything but peace all around me. It seems like there's constant tension and fighting um, all around me. So what, what does he mean when he shows up to them and he says, peace? What we might be expecting if Jesus showed up right now is that we would expect Jesus probably to sternly rebuke us. I know everything. I, he's seen everything you've done. He knows everything about you. What do you think he would say? And the thing I can't wrap my mind around as I think about my own life and as I think about the own dirt in my life is that Jesus would actually show up to me, show up this morning and say, what I have for you and what I want for you and what I've done for you is peace. That's what I want. This is what... The God of the universe is saying to us this morning. So let's talk for a minute about why we have this longing for peace. Um, if you think about it, why is that longing there? I think everyone in this room, that if you really, if we sat one-on-one long enough in a room and just got you talking, eventually what's going to come out of your mouth is that you're going to start talking about the fact that everything feels broken to you and you just want it to feel peaceful. You want it to feel better. You want it to feel okay. And, and we long for peace because we know, if we're honest with ourselves, we know how deep our sin runs, and we know also how brutal and how hostile the world is, and we're kind of terrified of the combination of those two things, when we put those two things together. And that's where we find the disciples in this passage. I mean, they're locked in a room. They're cowering in fear. They're huddled together. And I, I want to ask, what do you think is going through their mind? I mean, we don't, we're not told. I mean, but we can, I think we can speculate a little bit about some of the things that they might have been thinking as they were huddled in that room together. And I think one of the things that they might have been thinking about is, man, I wish I'd done that differently, right? I, I wish... Um, I wish I could go back a few days knowing what I now know, and I wish I, I, could, I, wish I had a do-over. Do you ever meditate on that? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever spend maybe a lot of your thought thinking about, I wish I could just do it over again? I wish I had a chance. I know that if I had a chance to do it right, then I would do it right. I wish I could go back and do it over again. I think that maybe the disciples are feeling just sort of weak. And, I mean, for lack of a better term, they're just feeling kind of stupid. And they're feeling kind of foolish because they're thinking about what they thought was going to happen as they followed Jesus 
compared with what has actually happened when they showed up in Jerusalem, and they just feel kind of dumb. They just feel kind of like ridiculous. And have you ever thought about, do you ever think about what you thought your life was going to look like, even at this age, and how it's already different than what you thought? Of what you kind of, you had these ideas, you know, when you're like 12, you're like, when I'm 20, this is what it's going to be like. You know, I'm going to be like that guy. And you're like 20 now, and you're like, I ain't that guy, right? <laughs> I am nothing like that person. And just when I turned 42 this week, and I thought, you know, when 42, this is what I'm going to be like. I'm not like that. And, you, and they just kind of felt, they felt stupid. And you feel like you can't go out there and face the world because what you've come to know for certain is that you can't control the outcome. But we know this. We know that the disciples are sitting in that room because John tells us and what they are feeling and what they are thinking is that they are afraid. They're afraid. If this is what they did to Jesus, if this is what they did to Jesus, then what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to my life? What's going to, what's going to come of my life? So think about it. The first place where the risen Jesus appears to his disciples is in a locked room full of shivering men with fear over what might happen to their lives. Now, Jesus could have shown up to them anywhere. He could have picked a different place to appear to them. But Jesus, being Jesus, decides this is where I want to go. This is where I want to show up. I want to show up and I want to meet them in the place where they are most afraid, where the door is locked, where they're terrified about what is going to happen in their life, where they're feeling the disappointment of what they've done in the past, this is where Jesus shows up. This is where the risen Lord appears to them. And there's a reason that the first words out of his mouth are, peace be with you. I want to ask you this. What what stands in the way of, of peace for you? It's not a lack of desire, right? That all of us want it. In fact, I think that if we were honest with ourselves, that we would say that most of the things that we choose to do in our lives are, um, are attempts to create peace. I mean, we want to avoid hardship. We want to avoid suffering. We want to avoid pain. And so even maybe down to like the major that you chose in college was actually an attempt that you think this is the pathway to peace, if I do this, then maybe my life will be a little bit more peaceful. Then we kind of think, you know, well, maybe if I can structure my life in such a way, um, if I can finally get organized, this has been like the story of my life. If I could finally get a new schedule, like if you saw me in college at the beginning of every semester, this is what I would do. This was before um, cell phones. So, or like anything you, like electronic where you kept a calendar, I would go to like the office depot and I would buy a planner, a paper planner, and I would use it for one week, right? I mean, that first week was glorious, and it was just full of everything, and then the rest of it was blank. I was just killing trees every year because I would never follow through. I thought if I could, and, and for years, this is what I thought, well, if I could finally get that together, if I could finally manage my time well enough, then what would I have? I would have peace, we figure maybe 
you know, sometimes we get to the point where it's like, maybe I just need some more alone time in my life. Maybe people are the problem. Maybe I need a little bit more peace in my life in that way. Or maybe we think, maybe I need more of the right people in my life, and maybe I don't have the right friends, and if I had the right friends, then I would have peace. And maybe we read some articles that talk about how to make our lives a little bit better, and we listen to them, and we kind of think, you know what, I have too much screen time in my life. I need to, I need to like, knock that down a notch. And so you make this resolution where you're kind of like, I'm going to not look at my phone, but only like five times a day. And it's like 30 seconds later. You're like, but I just need to check Instagram really fast, right? And you feel as if the more you try to create peace in your life and the more that you try to harness it, the more that you try to control it, the more resolutions you make to just be better, the harder it is. And into that, into that space this morning walks Jesus. And he knows all that. And he embodies peace. In fact, Scripture calls him, he is the, he is the prince of peace. And he's among us right now. Do you know that? That Jesus is with us at this very moment. That's what we believe as Christians, that his spirit is actually present with us in our midst. And he walks into our failed attempts to create peace in our lives. He walks into the chaos that we've created with what he's, give, with what he's given us. He walks into the midst of our failure and our pride and our confusion and our despair. And he says to us, even right in the midst of what you're thinking about in your brain right now, he says, I want to give you peace. That's why I came. You cannot create it, no matter how hard you try. This is a gift that I'm giving to you. How can he say that? How, how, what does he mean? He, how can he roll? You know, I want to be like, Jesus, how can you roll up in here and just say, peace be with you? Do you know what just happened? Do you know what we just went through? Do you know what? We have every right to be scared. Of course they do. It's terrifying. How can you just roll up here and talk about peace? What evidence do you have that you are the one that can give us peace? Well, Jesus doesn't say anything else at that moment. He just says, peace be with you. And then Jesus rolls up his sleeves. And he pulls up his tunic. And he shows them his side. He shows them the scars that still remain in his resurrected body. Peace be with you. I mean, it's, if, you, if you can put yourself in that room and you think about that scene as they're cowering with, she, with fear and Jesus, through a locked door, appears, the risen Jesus, he is back from the dead, and his first words are, I'm here to give you peace. And then he shows them that in his resurrected body, there are still these scars of his crucifixion. There's a man um, named Edward Shalito who fought in the First World War. And, I mean, just I, I, every once in a while I stop and I like thank God that I did not have to experience that. Because it shattered him. Why did it shatter him? It shattered him because of the things that he saw that he couldn't unsee and the things that he did that he couldn't undo. And he came back um, the, just a shell of a man. And he did not know what to do with it. There, there was nothing that could bring him peace 
And then he he encountered Jesus, and specifically, he encountered this scene. And it was the wounds of Jesus that finally brought him peace. And he wrote a poem about it, and it's called The The Jesus of the Scars. And he said, this is what one stanza says. He said, there are other gods, the other gods were strong, but thou was weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Jesus of the scars shows up in the midst of their worst moment. Peace is what he's come to give. Peace is what he's come to restore. He embodies peace. Why? Because here's the only place where peace can be found is in grace. Peace cannot be found in you figuring it out. Peace cannot be found in you getting your schedule correct. Peace cannot be found in one more resolution to not do that thing again. Peace cannot be found in you feeling sorry enough for what you've done in the past. Peace is found in this. It is found in the grace of Jesus. What is grace? Grace is getting the opposite of what you deserve. Grace is not a clean slate so that you can try over again. Grace is you receiving from the one that you've most offended the opposite of what you deserve. What is it that you deserve? You deserve death. So do I. And Jesus shows the wounds on his hand and on his side. And he says, this is, what, this is how I'm giving you peace. If I, I have taken on myself the full weight of everything that you have ever done wrong and of everything that you should have done and you didn't do, I have taken all of it upon myself and I have gone to the cross and the full punishment for your sin has been laid on me. But it gets better than that because what I am giving to you is I'm giving you my righteousness. So that when God the Father looks at you at this very moment, you who trust in me, what does he say? He says, you are my beloved child and in you I am well pleased. That is the only place where peace can be found. You cannot create it. It is only a gift that Jesus gives. And the disciples, you know, the language is almost too too weak. This translation where it says, and they were glad when they saw his scars. No, they freaked out. They were ecstatic. And I think that was what was running through their head is that they had heard all of this stuff that Jesus said, but when they saw his wounds, when they saw his scars, it all started to tumble into place. And they remembered those words that John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they thought, Aha, this is how it happens. Jesus is the true Passover Lamb. What might it mean for the risen Jesus to say to you this morning, to say right where you are, What I actually have for you is not a great resolution plan. I know you. And what I know about you is it doesn't matter how good the plan is, you ain't going to be able to do it. What I have for you this morning is the opposite of what you deserve. And it is eternal. It is imperishable. It is unfading. It is an inheritance that can never be taken away from you because it is a reserve for you in heaven. It's based on what I have done, not on what you have done. 
What if Jesus said those words to you this morning? Maybe you hear them for the first time. Maybe you're here asking the question, what is Christianity and what it's about? And you hear these words. It is about the peace that Jesus gives us through, the, through his life and his work and his death and his resurrection. Or maybe you're just like me. And maybe you woke up one more morning and you woke up thinking about, man, I could have done better at this yesterday or that yesterday. I wish I was different. And what you needed to hear once again is that my only hope is found. My only peace is found not in what I say about myself, not whether I'm a Jim or a Ryan. It's about what Jesus has said to me, what he says about me. It's what Jesus says that I am. That is the only place I can hang my hat. What's the result of that? Well, Jesus gives them this peace, and Jesus always does this. It's immediately he turns, and he, and he, and he has them do something with it. My peace I give to you. And then he says these words that are mind-boggling. He says, now as the Father has sent me, I'm going to send you. I, I can't digest the weight of that statement. As the Father sent me into the world, into the darkness, into the chaos of this broken, sin-sick world, now the Father is also sending you. How can that be? It's because what Jesus is showing them is that they are now part of the new creation because when Jesus rose from the dead, they rose too. That's what the Bible says about you. That if you are in Christ, you are a new creature. That you are part of the new creation. That you have a calling and that you have a mission. Jesus, he, he, he does this weird thing where he says this to them and then he bends down over them and he, says, and he, he breathes on them. And he says, receive my spirit. And if you know anything about the Bible, it's, it's really reminiscent of the very beginning of the Bible when God creates man. And what does he do? He breathes life into him. And so now Jesus, who is the firstborn of this new creation, he leans over and he breathes new life into them. Behold, I'm making all things new. As the Father sent me, so I send you. So what about this last verse, this weird verse? Where the last thing he says to them basically is this. So as you go out, um, when you, if you forgive sins, they're forgiven. But if you retain them, then they're retained. What does he mean by that? Uh, it's a strange verse because Jesus is the only one who can forgive sins. And so listen, listen to somebody who's smarter than me and what they said about this. This is a, a man named Dale Bruner in his commentary on John. He says, the disciples have learned over and over again that forgiveness of sins is the unmerited gift that Jesus grants to those who place their trust in him. Disciples do not make this gift for others. They simply share it with believers and so pass it on. That is how they are forgiving, namely that they are giving forth the good news of Jesus' deep forgiveness. And how do they retain or pronounce as unforgiven other people's sins? When they warn unrepentant and unbelieving of the consequences of unrepentant sin. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And so Jesus is saying, what I want you to do from now on as you go, I'm giving you peace. What that means is that you don't have to be afraid anymore. That you don't have to be anxious anymore. 
that you don't have to worry about tomorrow anymore, that the, the, the most primary thing that could ever matter in your life has been taken care of and you are eternally secure and you are loved by me and I will never let you go as we sometimes sing. Nothing can ever change that. And so I want you to open your eyes now and I want you to look around and I want you to think about where else can I give peace? Where else can I, can I offer this life? Maybe I'm sending you to a grocery store parking lot and you think that it's a blip in your road and a distraction in your day and maybe that's the exact place where Jesus wants you to be. You think about all the things that you want to do in your life. I want you to remember that this is what you're called to now, those who believe in Jesus. It says, so as the Father is sending me, so I'm sending you. That means we have to leave our locked rooms. That means on our campuses, what we're known for in RUF is the way that we welcome people. The way that we welcome people who don't look like us, who don't act like us, who sin differently than us, who are different colors than us, who have different cultures than us, that we, we go after them. Because we say that what I have and what I've discovered, it's this precious to me. I know that this is for you too, and I want you to see it, and I want you to hear it. And you have a campus full of people who need to hear it. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. This is where Jesus shows up. He shows up in our fear. He shows up in the fear of what our past might mean for us. He shows up in the fear that is created by our mistakes. He shows up in the fear of us worried about what the rest of our life is going to look like because we're terrified of that all the time. And he says, what I'm giving you, I'm giving you my peace. My peace is rooted in my grace and it's rooted in what I've done for you. It's rooted in the eternal love of the Father. It is why I came. This is where he shows up. Let me pray. Father, there are many of us um, here this morning, I think that at the heart of what we talked about, we believe it, but we still ask that you would help our unbelief, and I would pray that um, for myself as well. Father, I pray that um, you would help us as a people who um, are claiming to follow you, probably for the large part in this room. Um, that every morning that we would be able to wake up and we would be able to, to rejoice in the fact that what we have that cannot be taken away is the peace that only Jesus can offer. Father, we long for that. We run away from it, ironically, at every moment. Um, Father, I pray that we would just be reminded that this morning that Jesus shows up once again. And he says, what I've come to give you is grace. What I've come to give you is the opposite of what you deserve. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Can you all stand and work with us?